0: Hello, welcome to The Briefing. I'm Tom Tilly and this is the show that gets you up to speed every morning with the news that you need to know. It is Thursday the 30th of April and today we're going deep on the minor miracle that's happened for homeless people in the time of corona. Around 2,000 of them have been taken off the streets and put up in hotels and other crisis accommodation. The question we'll be asking is, what happens next? Will they be thrown back out on the street once this is all over? Before we get into that briefing topic, I'm joined by Jan Fran to find out what else is going on in the world today. And Jan, it was your birthday yesterday. Happy birthday.
1: Hello, Tom. Happy Thursday, everyone. And happy birthday to me for yesterday. Happy
0: <laughs> how did you spend it?
1: Uh, in my bathrobe, mainly, <laughs> which yeah. is how I've spent the last two months, frankly.
0: <laughs> you can do that on any birthday, but particularly on an ISO birthday.
1: Yeah, my partner, who's very lovely, he sort of set up this cute little dinner ordered from a nice place and I did get dressed for that so I won an award and maybe a ticket tape parade later.
0: (laughs) Very nice. All right let's get into the news.
1: First up, we're going to take a look at all of the key COVID info you need to know today. Uh, As of this morning, more than 3 million Australians have downloaded the COVID Safe app.
0: Yeah, pretty massive number, 3 million. The government were expecting the first million to tank five days. So this is a really quick uptake. You want to go outside when the sun's shining? You've got to put
2: sunscreen on. If you want to see us return to the uh, eased restrictions... That I know
0: you're looking forward to, and that I'm looking forward to. That it is important that you download the COVID Safe app. That is your ticket. Really strong sell. Love the sunscreen analogy.
1: Yeah, I never put sunscreen on before I leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who he's talking to there. Um, you should though, listeners. Yeah. Just quietly. Following on from that news, there, the Western Sydney nursing home, New March House. Um, some sad news: a 12th resident has died there, and 34. Uh, Infected. Uh, It's now the biggest cluster, actually, behind the Ruby Princess.
0: Yeah, that's horrific news. Overseas, the UK's death toll has risen by 4,500 overnight, now to more than 26,000. And that big jump in numbers has come about because they weren't recording deaths in nursing homes and they've done that for the first time. Uh, That now means that Britain has the second highest death toll in Europe after Italy and the third highest in the world with the US at number one. And Jan, our relationship with China is getting pretty tense in the time of corona. It's quite messy, so we're going to break it down for you.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of little details with this one. It it started uh, with our government's call for an independent inquiry uh, to basically try and work out the origins of of the coronavirus, which, look, that seems to have offended China.
0: Or people who have lost loved ones here, as well as those who have lost loved ones around the world as a result of uh, the COVID virus... I think those answers should be provided in an open and transparent way. And I don't think that's unreasonable.
1: That was uh, Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton there uh, defending the push on the ABC.
0: Yeah. So in response to that, China's ambassador to Australia has threatened uh, that Chinese people might stop buying Australian wine and beef and stop sending their students to Australian universities. Now, that would be an enormous hit to our economy, Um Chinese students are the biggest group of international students. They make up over a third of our international students, and that's a very lucrative market for us. If you add iron ore to the mix of potential boycotts, um, our economy would be smashed, so it's a pretty serious threat,
1: yeah. I mean, Australian exports, Australian iron ore exports, I think are worth something like 60 billion dollars a year to China, so that's that's pretty serious there. Um, things did get worse though, however, when the uh Chinese ambassador to Australia released details of of a pretty testy phone call um with the head of DFAT. Now, this is it's not illegal to do that, but it is incredibly unusual. China claims that Australia is in the wrong uh, and it's accused Australia of playing petty tricks.
0: There was another thread to this sort of tension yesterday. A Chinese diplomat raised eyebrows because he spoke at a press conference alongside the health minister, Greg Hunt, and mining billionaire Twiggy Forrest. And that was at an announcement over Twiggy Forrest orchestrating a huge number of corona tests to come from China to Australia. Um, But he brought along this Chinese diplomat to speak as well, which surprised a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I think I um, uh, saw somewhere that the editor of a state-run newspaper in China, I think he described Australia as the chewing gum stuck to the bottom of China's shoe. Ouch. Yeah, I was like sort of offended by that, but then I thought it was quite funny. Yeah, look, um, it's
0: just the editor of some newspaper in China. So who, who yeah. knows? If you think about some of the editors of our newspapers, may, you know, they like to sling big words around, get headlines. That's what they do. Um,
1: they do. It just shows it, that they don't like us very much at this point.
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting balance our government has to walk here because we do want to understand the origins of the coronavirus. We do want to know who's responsible. This has had the impact of a, of a war, you know that many people have died and economies have been smashed, but they need to find the right way to go about it.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, our relationship with China uh, economically is is incredibly important for Australia strategically as well. I would say, but um, we don't want
0: to be bullied either.
1: No. Well, I again, I don't get paid enough to answer the question of how it's we're going to do that. Tom. Neither do you. I think
0: definitely not. Now, even though the job seeker payment has doubled it's still impossible to find an affordable rental property.
1: Yeah, so Anglicare took um, a look at Australia's rental affordability. What they found was that out of 70,000 properties, get this, only 1.5% are actually affordable if you are a single person on the $1,100 a fortnight payment, right? So that's really low, but it is actually double. What it was before the pandemic
0: This will be a really interesting debate is do they keep this job seeker payment or essentially new starter double what it used to be once the pandemic's over? Um, the prime minister has been pretty adamant that it will go back to 550 a fortnight once it's over. Um, if that happens, according to this rental affordability snapshot from Anglicare, just nine properties out of 70,000 would be affordable. That's 0. ..0001%.
1: That is a, an abysmal figure, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I looked at that and I thought, what, just nine properties. I yeah. Think it, it is going to be difficult to wind this payment back, I think, especially given that Newstart, um, there was the debate around Newstart not having been raised since, you know, the mid-90s. The Howard era. The Howard yeah. era exactly. Um, and exactly. And so, you know, the idea of, of them winding the payment back after the dust settles, I think is going to be a really tricky thing to do.
0: I'd be very surprised if they can get it back to where it was um, I, I think they will have a lot of justification for winding it back significantly from eleven hundred dollars, but I think it will end up somewhere higher than five fifty.
1: Yeah, and the question is, you know, when when do you wind it back as well? I mean, when, who determines when the dust is actually, you know, settled in all of this? Well, way? yeah,
0: it depends if you're talking about the medical dust or the economic dust, which could last for years. A lot of dust, so much dust. The other point I want to make about that is that I think there might be some relief for renters. Um, Rents seem to be dropping in the time of corona massively. A lot of people are renegotiating. Um, The vacancy rate for properties has gone up massively as well. So there could be some good news ahead for renters.
1: Yeah, a bit of equalising maybe.
0: You're listening to The Briefing. I'm Tom Tilley and today's deep dive briefing topic is the minor miracle for homeless people in this pandemic. And Jamila Rizvi is here to help give you the briefing. Hello, Jamila.
3: Hey, Tom. Yeah, there are some really grave fears, of course, for the homeless population here in Australia and around the world as this crisis unfolded. They're, of course, way more vulnerable generally as a population and even more so during a health pandemic. If you think about it, there are higher rates of chronic illness amongst the homeless population. They're more likely to have a compromised immune system. For those living with mental illness, they might have difficulty recognising and responding to the threat of infection, and as well as generally not having access to safe, physically isolated and clean places to live, a lot of the homeless won't have access to the media to be able to give them those various public information campaigning points that are so important to keeping the rest of us safe.
0: Yeah, so obviously there were massive fears for that population as this pandemic really took off. Um, But one of the minor miracles has been that there hasn't been a major COVID-19 outbreak in the homeless population. The other minor miracle is that state governments around the country acted quite quickly to put around 2,000 rough sleepers into hotels and other crisis accommodation. Um, About 1,000 rough sleepers have been given accommodation in New South Wales and roughly 1,000 more across Victoria, South Australia, WA and Queensland. And I actually did a story on this for the project and I met this guy called James who'd been rough sleeping for several years uh, and he'd just been put up in the Holiday Inn in Potts Point, Sydney. Uh, they gave me 28 days uh, till the
3: 1st of May. Like I said, uh, yeah, wonderful hotel room, nice beautiful bed, three meals a day they're giving us at the moment.
0: It's put a big smile on your face. Yeah, yeah. How's that? Uh, and yeah, it's just great being having somewhere stable for the next month or so, you know. And so many times have you come back to where you think you have your blankets of a night and they're gone and so, so hard. It's so exhausting being on the street, you know, uh, every day to try to get out and look for work or get a normal life back. So that was quite heartwarming, um, of course, helped by that moving production music from the project um, editing team. Um, the other really nice thing to think about in the context of James's story was that, Having a month of, of stable, nice accommodation could actually be a circuit breaker in, in the cycle of homelessness for him.
3: It's just great to be able to
0: actually pulled out of that spiral at the moment. So it has given me a positive, positive attitude and is actually trying to um, look for somewhere, you know, get back get back into the workforce things like that, you know. But having this now, yeah, I've, I feel like I can
3: get back out there, you know. And yeah, it really has given me hope. James's comments there just proved the importance of certainty and predictability in your housing arrangements, right? Yep. Even if it is just for a month, which doesn't seem that long for those of us who aren't sleeping rough. But for safety reasons and also mental and emotional well-being, having a safe place to go every night and to know that it's going to be there is a really important thing. I also wonder what it says about our compassion and priorities as the community that we can only find housing for people who've been sleeping rough when it is required to keep the rest of us safe. But the big question remains, though, for James and so many others, what is going to happen to them when this month is up?
0: Yeah, that's the big question. Will they just go back out onto the street or can we make the most of this opportunity and and help them turn their lives around? So let's get into that very question Um, with the New South Wales Minister for Families, Communities and Disability Services. Gareth Ward, thanks for joining us on The Briefing.
2: Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Jamila. Great to be with you.
0: We just heard from James speaking out the front of the Holiday Inn, um, sounding very positive about finally getting some accommodation and, and that potentially being a circuit breaker to the problems he's been facing on the streets. You actually spoke to him on the phone recently.
2: I sure did and uh, homelessness is something I've had an interest in for a very, very long time and trying to help people break the cycle and uh, I'm so proud to be part of a government Uh, with a Premier like Gladys, who has signed up to halving street sleeping by 2025. But as you can imagine, during uh, this particular time, it's more important than ever before that we find people a safe place uh, to stay. And that's why we've uh, increased and enhanced supports through temporary accommodation, something we were already doing, but we've extended the time in which people can spend in temporary accommodation. And uh, this gives us a unique opportunity, Tom, to work with people to try and find them uh, more stable, accommodation and the services they need to break the cycle of homelessness
3: gareth you speak with a whole lot of heart there i think that people would really be touched by we've got a thousand people off the streets Mm. in less than a month clearly we've got the capacity to do this and you and your government deserve to be congratulated for that but if we were able to scale up so quickly it still kind of begs the question why we weren't doing that before
2: this this crisis has meant that we're trying things that we've never tried before. Yeah. Uh, and the thing that worked really well is saying to homeless people, look, we're not going to put you into temporary accommodation for a couple of nights. And speaking with homeless people, as I went around with our assertive outreach teams, what stunned me was that people were saying, you know what, if I've got the opportunity to be in a place for a month, that's something I'll happily take up. Now, whether or not we can transition people from that accommodation to a home, a more stable place. That's the real challenge. Sure, you can put people into temporary accommodation for one or two nights or a month, but the challenge is making sure they don't return to our streets.
0: And that's the big question, Gareth. So everyone's wondering what happens after the the one month? One month in a hotel for these people is, is amazing. And we got a sense of that by hearing James before. So how will you make sure they're not just turfed back onto the streets after that month?
2: Tom, you're right. I don't, I don't want them there for just a month. I, I want to try and transition people out of that accommodation into more stable accommodation. And look, that's why we're working with um, uh, specialist homelessness services, our community housing providers, social housing, uh, to provide opportunities to get people into that accommodation.
3: Gareth, how much does it cost to put a homeless person up in a hotel at the moment?
2: Depends on the rates, Jamila. Look, um, obviously we have a range of temporary accommodation providers that we work with across the state. It can cost around $150, $200 for the accommodation itself, but obviously we try and work with providers to come to good arrangements. And some hotels have been very generous uh, in the way they've worked with us in order to provide this accommodation. Often we approach accommodation providers and they don't want to be involved in providing temporary accommodation. Uh, But um, we've found uh, with the shortage of guests at a lot of hotels, it's been seen as a, a good opportunity Uh, for people to have uh, guests in their facilities.
0: Okay, so how will you do it, uh, Gareth Ward, when this one month ends? Will people still get hotel accommodation or will you go back to the previous system where they were you know, put in the other kinds of temporary accommodation that were on offer?
2: I want to keep on working with people that we've got off our streets. There are the options of extending that accommodation. But as I mentioned earlier, some of the people I've spoken to have said, We'll spend the month in temporary accommodation and, and then we will return to the streets. We don't want to go into um, a social or affordable housing home or a community housing provider. There are people with very complex needs, very complex challenges that are that are going to always be difficult to work but- with, but, but we, we will do our very best.
3: Gareth, we know that this isn't going to be a virus that completely disappears or is eradicated from our community. It's something we're going to be dealing with over time. Hotels are going to be much better designed spaces to be able to keep people separate from one another. But Mm. homelessness shelters don't work that way. You're talking about communal dinner, communal lunch, communal bathrooms in some cases. And we've seen major outbreaks in shelters in other parts of the world. What are we going to be doing to keep people safe in shelters moving forwards once the fancy hotels are opened up again to high paying guests?
2: Yeah, well, we work very closely with our Specialist Homelessness Services and um, providers right across the network. And I know that all of them have got um, continuity plans to make sure that if, uh, in the event that corona did break out in uh, one of those facilities, that uh, they would have plans to put people into separate accommodation. And we've worked with our providers to make sure that, uh, be it a refuge or an SHS, that they can achieve that.
0: Well, it's an amazing opportunity I think a lot of people are seeing that we're, we've witnessed these almost miracles of, of people being put into hotels who, who have been rough sleeping and it's been a really interesting discussion with you to sort of think about how that could be extended so we can capitalise on this bizarre but sometimes positive situation we've been dealing with.
2: I feel very strongly about doing something for this. This is a, a humanitarian response as much as it is one responding to the virus, and uh, it's a great opportunity to
0: demonstrate what we can achieve. It's been great to speak to you. Thanks for joining us on the briefing.
2: Thank you for the opportunity.
0: So that was Gareth Ward, the New South Wales Minister for Families, Communities, and Disability Services, um, the first politician we've had on the briefing. What he's dealing with is the same question that you know ministers around the country will be dealing with, which is you know what happens next and it was interesting to hear him say that hotel accommodation could be extended beyond the one month but i wonder as we i guess move into the recovery phase of the pandemic and rebuilding the economy that we're going to be so focused on rebuilding our economy i I wonder whether initiatives like this will really be a funding priority going forward when there's so many other ways that we have to spend money and also save money.
3: I think you are bang on, Tom. We found this immediate solution for people who've been sleeping rough to keep them safe and to keep the broader community safe from coronavirus. But in the coming months and even years, we are going to see an enormous increase in unemployment and particularly in long-term unemployment, we'll be expecting more family violence, sadly, with everyone stuck at home. And there are going to be hundreds of thousands of temporary migrants with no access to income support. All of that adds up to a whole lot more people who are going to be homeless. And I wonder how the homelessness services are possibly going to meet that demand without a whole lot of help from state and federal governments.
0: Yeah, well, according to the last census, there were around... 8,000 rough sleepers on any given night in Australia. It will be important to, to keep an eye on that figure and see if it goes up as a result of all those economic pressures you talked about, lots of people out of work and potentially doing it tough over the next several months or, or even years. A fascinating and important conversation, Jamila. Great to have you on the podcast today.
3: It was great to be here.
0: Tomorrow on the podcast, we look at the Australian identity. We think of ourselves as easygoing, suspicious of authority, But has that really been borne out by our reaction to COVID-19? We'll get deep into that tomorrow on the podcast. Make sure you subscribe on Podcast One Australia. Also, tell your friends about it. Uh, You can search The Briefing Podcast on whatever app you normally get your podcasts. And stay in touch with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Briefing Podcast. Catch you
1: tomorrow. A Podcast One production.